Welcome back to the show, Radical Health Seeker. I hope you are shining bright because today we're talking all about light. I chat with Nick, who is the founder and CEO of the company Mychondria. They produce a bunch of products, but namely red light therapy devices. So you might have picked up on this trend of red light therapy, these helmets people are wearing to help with hair regrowth or wrinkles in the skin because they can increase collagen. But red light is fascinating. I've been a user of red light therapy devices for years, and we get to really dive deep on the science behind that with Nick. He's a super smart guy about all things light diet. So expect to learn what red light is, how we can use it, the wide range health benefits, expect to learn some lessons from building a business and entrepreneurship, Nick's near-death experience and what he learned about how to live a good life through that, his motorcycle accident. And then we have some questions for our community about how to use red light to heal, um, to shine it on your testicles, to improve testosterone, and to generally just upgrade your light diet and live a radical life. So let's get into the show with Nick and Mike Welcome back to the show, you radical health seeker. Today, I'm sitting down with Nick, who's the founder of Mychondria. So we're talking all about that trendy thing called red light, red light therapy. So Nick, before we get into who you are and your story and all that, give us the 30,000 foot view of like, what is this red light thing? It's popping up everywhere. I see it on my TikTok. People are wearing red light helmets. I, If my audience follows me, they'll see me standing naked in front of a red light. Well, that's for the OnlyFans, but sometimes I'm standing naked in front of the red light. So what is it that we'll get into all the nuances and learn about you? But you know, if, if our audience has seen this and they're kind of like, what are people doing? What is this red light thing? What's the high level view of that? Yeah, so great question, because a lot of the people who see our product at first think we're something to do with Amsterdam. It's bright red light. It catches everyone's eyes and they're like, what is that for? And actually, it's about your health. So essentially, red light therapy is a modern tool for us to use in our lives where since we don't get outside enough and we don't spend enough time in nature and getting natural light exposure, it becomes a really convenient tool that you can use to supplement your light environment and bring you a little bit closer to nature. So essentially, the red and infrared light that you're seeing these in these videos on, on your TikTok is actually the type of light that you should be getting from sunlight. And because we're inside and we're not spending enough time with natural sunlight, it's a great way to supplement it and just you know improve your health in many ways like we're going to be discussing, but a modern tool to can reconnect you with nature. Cool. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And your company's called Mychondria. And I'm curious about the name because I'm guessing that's a play on mitochondria, right? Like where's the name come from and the company? And let's hear a little bit about the story and, and this red light journey that you've been on, how you learned about it, how you came up with the name and now how you get people these wonderful devices. Yeah. So the main mechanism and how red light therapy works is by increasing energy production in your cells. So most people, just a quick refresher to take you back to biology class, the mitochondria, the powerhouse within your cells, that is basically the main target of red light therapy. And what red light therapy does is it improves the function of your mitochondria so your cells make more energy. So that could be brain cells, it could be liver cells, it could be uh, your heart cells. If those cells are making more energy, they're going to be performing their functions better. So the play on words with mitochondria, essentially it is my mitochondria and you are taking control of your mitochondria. You're improving their health and you are increasing that energy production and improving your, your health through that. 
Um, my original like journey into all of this, so many years ago, I was studying. I studied to be a physical therapist, and the traditional routes that were taught there is, you know, to improve your health, you just need to focus on diet and exercise. And the more I learned about this and started working with clients after that, I realized there's more to the picture. There's mm -hmm. more things you should focus on, be that your light environment, be that relationships. You know, there's so many other aspects to health that we don't pay attention to. And where this really kicked off for me was just realizing that everyone is focusing on a couple of slices of the pie. And there's this really big, big piece of the pie that we're not paying attention to. You know, with our diet and with exercise, most people know generally what to do. And they're probably getting it 80 to 90% right, whether you're on a paleo diet or an animal-based diet, whatever ketogenic diet, you probably know that you should cut out processed foods and not eat refined sugars, and you're going to get it about 80% right. Mm. Where with our light environment, it's just one of those things that because we're not paying attention to it, there's just so much room for improvement. And with small little tweaks, you can have drastic effects on your life just because we're currently probably getting it 10 to 20% correct with our modern lifestyles. Hmm. That's such a good point, man. And I, I think, you know, what you're talking about is a term that I resonate a lot with is more of the holistic principles, like looking at the full picture. So like diets are really great segue into this, because if you get meat pilled, as I like to call it, you know, the carnivore space, the animal based space, you kind of understand some core principles there. Like, yeah, like you said, cut out the junk, remove the seed oils, watch the refined sugars, it's going to get you a long way there. And there's nuances. And then we think about the macronutrients, protein, carbs, and fats. And recently, in the last couple of years, I've been really thinking, about this fourth macronutrient called light. And I love this terminology of the light diet. And like you said, this idea of going back to biology class, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. It produces this ATP, this adenosine triphosphate. It's kind of like our energy currency that we can spend, right? So if we have more of that coming out, we've got more energy to spend. And you can do with that all kinds of cool stuff, which we'll get into, like reduce inflammation, heal organs, potentially fix uh, problems that are going on systemically, hair loss, all these cool things that are that you know, I'm curious to talk to you about and hear some of the cool stories that you've seen personally and also through your company. But when we think about this light diet and you said like most people just aren't aware of it and when we know better, we can do better. Let's dive into that a little bit more because one of the things that I think people maybe are more aware of is the harmful effects of excess blue light and that's everywhere, right? Even, even right now as I'm talking to you, I'm stirring into a computer. We've got fancy lighting in the studio. It's blasting me with these blue lights and we have to be aware of that so we can offset some of the damages, use tools like red light therapy and sunlight and nature and all of that stuff so what's the story with blue light what is the story with this light diet yeah so i love that metaphor because it is essentially a diet and just like a diet where there's certain things you should be adding in there's also certain things you should be removing so with red light we're adding in the correct thing so now we're giving you the right food for that diet and blue light on the other side is something that we're getting too much of call it let's call it seed oils mm. we're getting too much seed oils in our, our diet and in our light diet we tend to get too much blue light now, the problem with blue light is that we are basically getting overexposed to it in completely unnatural concentrations. In nature, it's completely normal to be exposed to blue light during the daytime and when it's also balanced out with red and infrared light. So one of the, there's, there's two problems. One problem is the timing of it. So whereas in nature, we would use blue light to tell our brains it's daytime and therefore, you know, increase your cortisol, suppress your sleep hormones, melatonin, so that you would stay awake. Mm. That is something that would only happen during the day. Whereas with modern technology, we've now been able to recreate that process at nighttime. So at nighttime, anytime after sunset, when you're looking at an artificial screen or you've got overhead lighting, 
you're basically stimulating a response in your brain that it is still daytime. And that's one of the biggest reasons why people struggle with sleep quality is because they're constantly telling their brain that it's day daytime. The other problem with it is just this excessive concentration. So even if blue light is natural during the daytime, what we find coming from the screens and overhead lighting is if you look at an LED, the type of light that comes from an LED, it's got an extremely high amount of blue light and very little red and near-infrared light. Mm -hmm. What they've basically done is they've optimized uh, lighting so that it produces light really efficiently without too much electricity. And red and infrared light doesn't actually uh, do a lot in terms of vision. So as a result, we've cut that out in you know trying to be smart. And what happens is this blue light toxicity basically stresses out our cells. Because with the red and infrared that we would get in nature, so the balancing of blue and red together, you would get somewhat of a healing effect at the same time. Whereas when we have this pure blue light from indoor artificial lighting, it stresses out the cells, it causes a lot of oxidative stress and can do a lot of damage to things like your eyes, can cause uh, eye strain and headaches, and then also just leading to that blue light toxicity within the cells because it's just a completely unnatural exposure for us. Mm. I, I like this term, the evolutionary mismatch, and it sounds like that's what you're describing, like the inappropriate dosages of light at the wrong times, um, coupled with the fact that we don't get any natural light at the same time. You know, I think those statistics now look at the average person spends 90% of the time indoors. And to your point, they're probably now under efficient, smart uh, LED lights that have this high intensity of light, very bright, right? Like two o'clock in the afternoon brightness signaling that to your body at 8 p.m. at night is probably not smart from a melatonin perspective. But I like this idea of saying blue light toxicity because it, it means it's not just inconvenience wrecking your sleep, but it might actually be causing harm. Is it safe to say that, that blue light can be causing uh, dysfunction at a cellular level? Like, is it actually damaging cells? Is it damaging just the eyes that we're seeing it through? Or is it damaging cells deeper? Is it causing a lot of mismatch? Like, what's, a, what's the story to at the cellular level there? Well, here, here's something that I'm sure you've heard of before is that people get you know, skin melanomas. And what's quite common is people get skin melanomas on places where they aren't going outside and getting full exposure. So hmm. blue light on your skin and within um, the dermis can also cause that oxidative stress. And that can also be linked or it has been linked to certain types of cancers as well. So absolutely, blue light in that high exposure definitely causes that that stress and does have adverse effects not just on the eyes um, and at the same time you know if you're messing up your circadian rhythm with the blue light the circadian rhythm is obviously that internal clock that our body has that makes sure that everything is functioning properly so at certain times a day we should be focusing on digestion mm. other parts of day maybe our liver should be you know detoxing our body and the problem is when you've got this complete circadian mismatch is these different processes don't line up properly. And that's obviously a, a recipe for disaster. It's almost like if you came to an intersection, you know, there's robots that say certain lanes, like this lane can go right now, it's a green light for them. And then these cars would be stopping. And when we have the circadian mismatch, we don't have that, you know, symphony as you mm. would get at a traffic intersection, where now all these processes are trying to do things at the same time, or they switched off at the same time. And as a result, the body as a whole doesn't function optimally. Mm. 
That's super cool. And I like this kind of frame in it as it's not just these acute things, but it can be these chronic things manifesting because the mismatch, the circadian mismatch is really playing out over the long haul and therefore things aren't running optimally. And that's when we start running into problems. So we think, um, you know, as we talk about light diet, specifically when we talk about blue light, people are kind of aware of blue light blockers, right? So, okay, so is the solution as simple as what if I just put like blue light blocking glasses over my eyes at night? Um, but I have heard that it's not just the eyes that receive blue light, right? Like you said, it can also be received through the skin. There's, there's photoreceptors on all parts of your body, right? So the blue light blocking glasses, I'd love to hear your take, like how helpful they are, but it's not the complete picture of eliminating blue light of, of, of just, you know, putting some glasses on and, and Bob's your uncle, right? Absolutely. So it's a very great point because we used to believe it was only in the eyes. So you have melanopsin receptors, which basically detect this blue light. And we used to think it was just in the eyes and blue blockers, you know, would be the solution to fix that completely. But it is now shown that we also have these receptors in our skin. So if you're using blue blockers at nighttime to block this blue light and to improve your melatonin, you are doing, let's say, 70 to 80 percent of the job. You're doing it. You know, you've taken a great step in the right mm. direction. But another great thing to do is just cover up as much as you can or use um, alternative lighting. You know, when I first started, I was very much using the blue blockers and just carrying on with the rest rest of my nightlife as if it was the same. I was using the same artificial lighting. But I think, you know, if you really want to take it a good step in the right direction, you want to replace a lot of the lighting in your home, whether that's you're using candles and you're going really old school. That's obviously hmm. the extreme version. Or you're using a red light therapy device. They can be used as lighting sources as well. You also do get uh, red LED bulbs that are completely blue light free. There's certain things you can do with your cell phone and your laptop. You know, there's apps like Iris uh, that you can download or Twilight. Those all help to reduce the source. So mm. while blue blockers definitely are a step in the right direction, they shouldn't be the only thing that you do. Because as you said, the eyes aren't the only receptors that detect um, this light and when it's time to wake up. And it makes complete sense because if you think about it, if you were sleeping at nighttime, you want to be woken up naturally by light. And when your eyes are closed, that morning light that starts to light up the room should wake you up. So as mm. a result, our bodies have evolved that capacity to detect light, not just through our eyes. Yeah, that's super cool. I like, um, you know, that maybe a lot of people get into the dietary space and the first um, super villain that they take down is refined sugar and they can remove refined sugar and gluten and grains. And that was me for a while and it will really improve things. But there is still this hidden danger because for a, for a couple of years, I was completely unaware of seed oils. So like the blue light blocking glasses is getting rid of the sugar, but the seed oils are still present. So you can get yourself a good way going, but there's still something there. And this is the next level now. And I like that you said using the red light as not as the therapy device that we'll discuss it as in a minute, but as a adjacent lighting in the room. This is something I've started to do in the evenings now when I'm hanging out with my wife. We're not doing red light therapy per se, where we're sitting in front of it and getting our red light dose. We're putting it on to light up this room and make it really warm and inviting and red. And it just has like this relaxing feel to it. And I've heard this, uh, I've heard people say this in the, in the past. I'm not sure if there's much truth to this claim, but it makes sense to me that the only light that doesn't disrupt sleep is the kind of reds and oranges because they would be more reminiscent of the fire that we evolved to be around at night. So you've got reds and oranges with a sunrise and reds and oranges with a fire. So those don't seem to uh, impact sleep and actually seem to be favorable to sleep. Is that a fair assessment that's a, absolutely true so we've essentially developed a sleep immunity to red and infrared light 
because it is the type of light that we would have been exposed to at any type of the day. So a fire is a great source of red and infrared light. Heat in general, you would get exposed to infrared light if you're close to another human body or even the floor. If the floor was, you know, the ground was scorched with the sun all day at nighttime, that's still going to be giving off infrared light. So we, when we were evolving, we obviously used the type of light that was changing throughout the day as our, our rhythm or to set our internal clocks. And that was the blue light. Whereas the red and infrared light, because it's such a consistent type of light to be exposed to, our bodies realized essentially that that's not the type of light we should use to tell us what time of the day it is. Hmm. Cool, cool. So you you actually used this term yourself a couple of times here when we were talking about red light. You said using it as a supplement, um, not just like red light fixes everything and it's the be all and end all, but it's supplemental to also sunlight. So I want to pass out some of the differences here because red light devices aren't necessarily going to give you vitamin D, right? They don't have those rays, but they give you similar kind of um, color, warmth, etc. That, that inform your body of appropriate light at appropriate times. So before we get into the nuances of some of the things that red light can do, how do you square the circle between, you know, sunlight and red light? And what does one do versus the other? And should we be terrified of the sun? Because you mentioned that scurry word melanoma and we should never do it. And red light's safer or are they complementary opposites? Are they similar in, or different in, in, in certain ways? So it's very interesting because every single red light therapy company seems to go down one of two paths. There are red light therapy companies out there who will market that their red light therapy devices are almost better than sunlight because they con contain zero UV light. So if you fall into that category where you think that UV light is absolutely terrible and you should avoid it at all costs, they're going to be marketing to you. And they essentially say that red light therapy is better than sunlight because it doesn't have the UV light that would burn you and therefore mm. call cause those melanomas. Whereas in reality, and this is obviously the path that mitochondria goes down and what we discuss, is that red light therapy is something used adjacent to sunlight. So while red light therapy focuses on those key frequencies that are the most dominant from sunlight, red and infrared light is at minimum 42% of sunlight. That's during the middle of the day. So most of the, the sun is still made up by red and infrared light, with your sunrise and your sunset, there's a lot of a, a much higher concentration. But there are other frequencies of uh, light that are very essential for humans to get. So as we already mentioned, UV light. Without UV light, you can't actually produce your own unless you're eating it exogenously. But um, by activating uh, vitamin D, which is a hormone, you need UV light for that. And mm. that's something you're not going to get from a red light therapy device. So it's definitely not a replacement. You shouldn't be using red light therapy instead of sunlight. But we need to also be real and look at the fact that in our modern society, most of us aren't getting outside enough. Right now, you and I, yes, I've got a little bit of natural light coming in here, but I've still got glass windows blocking out a lot of the red and infrared light. I'm wearing clothes a lot of the time. Even when I'm outside, we're not completely naked like we used to be out in nature. Mm. So there is, it's absolutely essential that we do supplement with the red and infrared light. But it's not that you should think, okay, I've done my 10-minute red light therapy session today and therefore I don't need to go outside at all. I've hit my quota for natural light. There are other benefits to getting natural light exposure and the UV light is just one of those things to discuss and probably you know one of the most important ones. But there is definitely a balance to be made between natural sunlight, waking yourself in the up in the morning with a sunrise, and then supplementing your light environment with a red light therapy device because you're living a modern lifestyle. 
Mm -mm. This feels to me like the, the difference between biohacking and bioharmonizing, right? Like red light therapy devices and other tools um, that, you know, rely predominantly on a tech-based solution to a, a problem that we're experiencing because of modern life get lumped in with biohacking. But the way you're describing the use is much more like bioharmonizing. Yes, this is an incredible tool. Yes, we do need it to offset all of those challenges you just said, but not to replace nature first, right? The sun is still king. And if we can get it, excellent. But also, yeah, like what happens in the winter? What happens when you're in northern climates and you don't see much sun and you, you know you can't go out because the latitude doesn't allow you to synthesize vitamin D? The good news is we can store it, right? We store it in our fat tissues and in our skin and we can still have a good light diet just because it's cold outside and you can't get vitamin D doesn't mean you shouldn't go out and look at the sun at the appropriate times of day. Not directly at the sun before somebody gets all mad at me for trying to make people blind, mm -hmm. but in the direction of the sun, like um, Mr. Huberman suggests in Sunrise Club, you know, to set your circadian clocks, but then optimizing as much of your, um, the rest of your diet, the rest of your light diet with less of this junky light and more of these, you know, um, warm lights that are coming from these red light therapy devices. So let's transition into the you know, effects of red light directly, because it's my understanding that you said there's specific frequencies here, and they essentially can penetrate into the skin and talk, if you will, or communicate, if you will, with the cells at the mitochondrial level and cause an increase in this energy production. And that energy production can be used to accomplish you know, some pretty wild things, whether it's used more holistically or whether it's more targeted on an injury or a wound or something. So like what are some of the maybe the key reasons that aside from the balancing holistically of the light diet that somebody might want to use a red light? What are some of the things that you've seen your company sees and how are these devices used in the healing of people, injuries, etc.? Yeah, so before we even mention the benefits, I always think it's good to make sure that there's an understanding of how red light therapy works. Because we see such a wide range of benefits, it can really seem too good to be true. Even mm. though it's published in clinical studies, it's good to understand that base mechanism of how it works. So all the cells in your body, they have mitochondria within them that are producing energy. And what red light therapy does is really cool. We have this process called cellular respiration. And red and infrared light in specific frequencies uh, in the red range and specific frequencies in the near-infrared range, they've been shown to increase this energy production. So basically what they do is the fourth stage of uh, cellular respiration. It's called uh, cytochrome C oxidase. This is basically when our cells are under stress, they are inhibited from making more energy by nitric oxide. And the way that red light therapy works is actually by freeing up this nitric oxide in uh, the cytochrome C oxidase. So it does two things. One thing, it frees up the nitric oxide. So now all of a sudden your cells can make more energy and this process is optimized. And then at the same time, that freed up nitric oxide, I'm sure many people know this already, that helps to increase blood flow, which is one of the key mm. uh, hallmarks of red light therapy is this increased blood flow, increased nutrients to the area, you know, whether you're dealing with pain or you're trying to increase healing. If there's increased blood flow and there's increased nutrients to that area, it's going to be able to function better. So with that underlying mechanism, I would say, you know, the most common benefits we see, the first one that people always notice is improved sleep quality. And that seems to be, you know, literally from day one, people will do a red light therapy session in the evening and they will have an improvement in their sleep quality. In clinical trials, there's one that's published in the Journal of Athletic Training, and they did a relatively short study where it was just 14 days the end of 14 days, they found that athletes who use red light therapy session in the evenings, 
they had a 75% increase in melatonin in the evening times. Hmm. So they were also sleeping a lot better. There was 28% uh, increases in their sleep quality. That is probably one of the most profound and most common effects that I've seen with our customers uh, with red light therapy. After that, hair growth is another big one. Uh, we've seen clinical trials have shown, you know, within as, as little as 12 weeks, you see 35 to 40% increases in hair growth. And again, I think a lot of the reason why people have hair loss issues is because those cells are essentially starved. They're not getting enough nutrients, and that's why the hair follicles are dying out and not able to produce more hair. And when people do red light therapy directly on their scalps, it's shown that it increases the nutrients and the blood flow in the area. And as a result, there is this increased hair growth. Outside of that, pain is a big one. A lot of people struggling with pain and inflammation, you know, things like uh, osteoarthritis or e even just overuse injuries. Red light therapy has been shown to decrease inflammation. And as a result, a lot of people see decreases in their pain symptoms. That normally takes a little bit longer, but I would say two to three weeks is normally when pain reductions are felt as well. That's super cool. And a lot of what you just said really kind of um, speaks to my personal use. I've been using a red light therapy device from your company for years at this point. And it feels like it's a secret weapon for me in some regards in terms of enhancing my recovery. If I ever do pick up a little knock or a niggle from training, a little strain, overuse, and I blast that sucker with some red light for a couple of days, it seems to improve and get me back on the mats. So I get me back into the gym much, much quicker than other people. And I'm sure there are many factors as a play here with the holistic approach and the diet and things like that. But it's really fascinating to hear you talk about such wide ranging benefits. And I, I like that disclaimer of not kind of waving your hands and saying, you know, this is voodoo magic that can fix everything, but also acknowledging that this can fix a lot because you're fixing it at a like really kind of fundamental level. You know, we often like if our cells are like uh, the engines that run the thing, instead of running around doing patchwork on the body and inflating the flat tires, we're just going in and fixing the, the, the thing that really runs the show. So with that said, the, this red light isn't just a surface level thing, right? You, you mentioned it increases blood flow. That was a bit of a light bulb moment for me because whenever I use it, I do have this nice like warm glow. It's not a tan. It's not like a suntan like after the, but I am, I'm, I'm very flushed. I'm warm. I feel good. I sleep great. I look better. You've, you've mentioned though, um, that using this after sun exposure in the summer can help with maintaining a tan, increasing a tan, offsetting some potential damage. If you did overdo the sun and incur some damage, what's going on there? So I think we should reference again, back to nature here and what would happen naturally if we were outside. So during sunrise and sunset, we're not getting a lot of UV light, which is the type of light that's going to burn you. There, you're getting very similar to a red light therapy device. You're getting red and infrared light. Now, what would happen in nature is when you're getting exposed to red and infrared light, it activates pigments in your skin called melanin, which helps you to absorb UV light better. Now, for someone who burns quite easy, it's probably starting to click now and going, that's why I'm burning when I mm. only go out in the middle of the day is because if you're skipping that early morning light exposure and that late evening light exposure as well, you are going to put yourself at risk of burning when you go out to, to get UV light exposure in the middle of the day. A ref I mean, a metaphor that I often use is imagine if you rocked up to Wimbledon and you had to play against Djokovic, but you'd never held a tennis racket and you didn't warm up properly. You're probably going to injure yourself if you try and you know go into that match. Hmm. It's the same thing with in nature. There's this natural balance where we should be getting more red and infrared light to uh, prepare our skin for the UV light later in the day. 
What happens then in the evenings as well, as I said, sunset also has this very high concentration of red and infrared light, is that does help with the inflammation. Let's say you've had a lot of UV light exposure that day. By getting the red and infrared light afterwards, it also helps to deal with that inflammation. It's going to increase the blood flow like we mentioned, and that's going to help your body to deal with any oxidative stress that's caused by excessive UV light exposure. Hmm, that's so fascinating. So you you mentioned that this isn't just you like pulling these um, you know stories out of your bum and making them up to sell a product. There's an enormous amount of research on red light therapy, right? Sometimes it's called low laser light therapy or photobiomodulation, but there's hundreds of reviewed studies looking at wide ranging benefits. So when anything starts to you know, emerge and get trendy. And there's so much application for such a wide array of um, problems. And, and it could be the solution to that. Obviously, some charlatans come into the mix, some scams start to emerge. I'm curious what you would advise our listeners and like, how would they avoid red light therapy scams? So the most important thing is to know what to look for. As you said, there's there's thousands. We've now got thousands of published studies on photobiomodulation or red light therapy. And I mean, this date ba dates back to the 1960s. There was, you know, that's when it really started uh, happening when they were using lasers. So there's a Hungarian physician, his name's Andre Mester, and he started using lasers. And at that point, he was showing benefits with red and near-infrared light. They were showing improved wound healing and all these benefits just within rats. And it didn't really kick off in for the, about 40, 45 years because it was so expensive. So lasers, mm. if you wanted to use a laser at home, you're going to spend thousands of dollars on a device in order to get a laser that's going to target one little small point. And as a result, we've always known that red near-infrared light is extremely beneficial, but it's just not being accessible to the general public because it was too expensive. You would have to go to some kind of spa, and even then you're spending a couple of hundred dollars per session. Now, what happened in about, it was in the 1990s, is NASA started using LED lights instead of lasers because they found that the astronauts were, their health was deteriorating because they weren't getting proper light exposure. So they started using LEDs both on the astronauts and the plants actually to hmm. grow uh, plants in space. And with LEDs, at you can cover a much larger surface area and you're also going to pay a fraction of the cost. So where you used to have to spend thousands of dollars to get a little pinpoint laser, you can now for probably under $1,000 get a full body LED panel that is going to deliver you the same benefits at a much better price. Now, that hasn't stopped people from making products that are even cheaper than cheap. And one of the biggest problems is that a lot of red light therapy companies will just lean into the scientific studies. So they will only reference scientific studies and show these benefits. And then they will sell a product that is absolutely nothing like the ones that's used in the scientific studies. Hmm. So there's a few things, but probably the most important thing to look for is the light intensity. Most, uh, well, let's say all of the cheaper red light therapy products, what they do is they just make extremely underpowered devices. So they're not giving you anywhere enough red and near infrared light in order to actually elicit any benefit. So if someone is watching this and thinking, I want to go and get myself a red light therapy device or do my research, what I would tell you is look for a device that gives you around 100 milliwatts per centimeter squared. That's simply a measurement of light intensity. So MW per centimeter squared. And also what's very important is that the company discloses what distance they were away when mm. they took that measurement. I think the charlatans, as you said, have even gone a step further now 
And they've realized that people are looking for around 100 milliwatts per centimeter squared. And they will take a measurement right up against their device, like a very underpowered device. And they will say it's 100 milliwatts per centimeter squared. But in reality, as you get further away from any device, that light intensity does drop off. So you should be looking for a device that gives you around 100 milliwatts per centimeter squared at six inches and beyond. And then they give you that measurement and they tell you specifically at what distance they were when they took that measurement. Outside of this, and this is also going to depend on you know, what your views are in health, but if you're someone who's sensitive to EMFs or just knows that it's something you should try and avoid, a lot of the lower quality devices emit very high levels of EMFs. And EMFs, it's no, no uh, secret, they can cause oxidative stress in your cells as well. And the way I always explain it is if you're doing something healthy like red light therapy, you don't want to be doing something that's causing oxidative stress and going backwards at the same time. You know, you're taking three steps forward with red and infrared light, but now you're taking one step back because you're also getting exposed to very high levels of EMFs. So again, the high quality red light therapy companies, they will tell you that their devices are EMF free at their treatment distance. It's normally between four and six inches. And again, if the device is high powered enough, you can be in that range. So you can be four to six inches away from your device, be in that zero EMF uh, range, and then still get a clinical dose of red and near infrared light. Yeah, wonderful. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the EMF point. That was one of the key selling points when I was looking for a device a few years ago and I found mitochondria that you were testing at, at distances that were actually realistic because people aren't going to be lying down on these things. And if they are and they're going for a cheaper one because they need more of that power output at a closer level, then it often comes with this double-edged sword of great, now I'm blasted with EMFs too. So is that kind of the gold standard for mitochondria? That's what you're looking at at a, at a distance that's more applicable and usable, like six inches or so that you still get an effective dose. Like what is an effective? dose like what is a minimum effective dose for red light is it 10 minutes is it 15 minutes does it depend it's such a great question and it's actually something else you can use to look for a red flag in a in a company so as soon as you look into the research you can see that different benefits have different protocols or different light doses so when we're talking about things like skin um, improvements it tends to be quite low doses so you're looking between three and ten joules per centimeter squared which usually equates Let's say you're doing 100, so 100 milliwatts per centimeter squared equates to it's about six joules per minute. So you could probably do that in two minutes, literally with a high quality device that would give you skin improvements. But then as soon as you're looking at other benefits, things like sleep quality, those tend to be around 30 joules. Uh, things like joint pain, those are also around 50 joules. So it can literally be anywhere, Steve, between three and 60 joules per centimeter squared which tends to mean somewhere between two and 10 minutes if you're using a high quality device that is giving you around 100 milliwatts per centimeter squared. Now, what I've actually started to realize is that a very good way to tell if a red light therapy company is pulling the wool over your eyes is if they just give you general guidelines. So if they say, use our device for eight to 10 minutes and you'll experience all those benefits, that means they're not uh, brave enough to compare their devices to the scientific uh, studies. Hmm. So if, if they've looked into the scientific studies, it's, it's very clear different benefits have different doses. So a red light therapy company that's not afraid to compare their devices to the ones that are used in the clinical research, they will give you customized protocols and say, if you're trying to improve your skin quality, then make sure you're six to eight inches away and do that for four to five minutes. If you're trying to decrease joint pain, then maybe you should be a little bit closer. Maybe you're four inches now and your session should be eight to 10 minutes. So as a, a general rule of thumb, your session could be anywhere between 
two and 10 minutes, provided it's a high quality device, but it will definitely depend on the benefit that you're trying to achieve. I appreciate that nuance and transparency and not such a blanket statement, um, you know, because that's what we get a lot, you know, is like almost like a dogmatism of we see it in dietary ideology, right? The hardcore carnivores are like the only thing you need in all cases for every person is red meat, water and salt. And then, you know, you start to figure out that people need different things at different times. So I really like that. And that's what, why I've always been impressed by what you do um, with the company, the, the wattage guideline packets that you give when somebody purchases a product and also the information that you provide on your blog and your email newsletters is one of the few that I subscribe to because I'm always interested to see what pops in and like, oh, look at this now, red light therapy to heal the liver, red light therapy for her loss. So there, again, it's, it's really fascinating. There's always that nuance, okay? If it's for this, then we have to think about this and obviously you're referencing through the lens of your devices, which are high, high quality, EMF free and, and, and high powered and, and such. But with um, so much uh, variation here and potential benefit, I'm curious, like, what's the most powerful transformations that you've seen uh, either in yourself or with customers from using red light therapy? So myself, I will, I'll delve into that next because I'll tell you a story about a recent, I was in quite a serious motorbike accident a couple of months ago. So I'll, I'll tell you that. And it was obviously a motorbike accident is never a great experience, but it was a great uh, case study for myself. But with my clients, I mean, I, this is one of the reasons why I absolutely love what I do is because I get to hear from people that have used our product. Uh, something we, we have, and we completely stand by at Mycondry is we have a 60 day trial period on all of our products. And the reason we do that is because no one takes us up on it. People hmm. are only messaging me and saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe how good my sleep is now. Uh, I had a, I had someone message me two days ago, and this is quite cool. Uh, it just it just felt, uh, it, it gave me, it said really made me feel like I had a purpose. They had, their child had been uh, struggling with psoriasis and the skin had been really bad for months and they could do nothing about it. They said they changed the baby's diet. Nothing they were doing was working. And after they'd used the device on the baby for two days, uh, the psoriasis literally cleared up like 90%. So all that inflammation around uh, the baby's skin had decreased. The baby wasn't crying as much. Uh, so th those kind of stories, I mean, I literally get day-to-day, -day, I get people messaging me about knee pain or back pain. Neuropathy is another big one that's popped up a lot lately. A lot of people struggling with neuropathy have found uh, benefits with our red light therapy products. And as much as we can, we always publish these on our website as well, because as I mentioned mm. earlier, a lot of companies are just hiding behind the scientific studies, whereas we get, you know, we have this wide range of, of case studies of people actually using our products and replicating those benefits. And for me, that's, I mean, that's absolutely why I love doing what I'm doing is to get those messages from people where I really feel like I'm impacting them at scale by, you know, supplying products like these that are helping them. Wow. Then in my own case, so I, I've obviously, Steve, you probably heard about this after following me on social media. But I would always use red light therapy just for general benefits. You know, I'm looking to improve my um, muscle recovery. I'm looking to improve my hormones. And about four months ago, I was in quite a serious motorbike accident. I'll provide some pictures to you. I'm sure you can show your listeners uh, that as well. But basically, I smashed up the whole right side of my face. I was uh, in Bali and I was on a motorbike and we had a car come into our lane. And when we swerved off, I went directly into a pole. So I had a, a helmet on and it cracked right through my helmet. Thank goodness. Otherwise, I would, I would have been dead. But it went through the visor over here. And basically, my eyebrow shattered. I shattered my entire cheekbone. So my whole uh, cheekbone was actually loose. Before they put any bolts in me, if I swallowed while I was in the hospital, 
when I swallowed, my cheekbone would like suction into my face and then suction out because everything in here was completely loose. And in a weird kind of way, as I woke up the next day and, and I had this injury on my face, there was a small part of me that was, a bit, was excited because I was thinking, oh, I can't wait to use my red light therapy device on this. And many of the things that the doctors said I would have to go through, I haven't had to go through. Mm. I've canceled a surgery. So one of the issues around the entire injury that I had was that there was a lot of scar tissue and my whole cheek basically pulled tight. And I had this like drooping eye. I had an eye that sat down like this for, uh, that's what I had immediately after the accident and for the next few weeks. And the doctor said, okay, well, once your wounds heal a little bit, we're going to have to take you in for plastic surgery. And they basically inject stuff into your uh, eye in order to stretch it and to bring it back to normal. I was like, that's, I'm definitely going to try and avoid that. And I started doing my red light therapy every single day, massaging it, you know, increasing the blood flow with the red light therapy. That's also increasing the collagen. Hmm. And I actually canceled the surgery. I went to the doctor and I was like, I don't think it's necessary. And my eye completely healed up. I mean, my face was a complete wreck about three months ago. And in the face of all the the doctors and what they thought I would have to go through, I've been able to cancel the procedures that were meant to happen. I was meant to be numb. They said I would be numb for about two or three years and that it might not even come back. So they said this side of my face would stay numb maybe for the rest of my life, but at least two to three years. I have complete sensation back in my face over here. I've got a little bit of numbness on my lip over here, but this is completely healed. Uh, I've also got, I've got complete motor sensation so I can move everything in my face, which mm. means that the nerves are going to regenerate. But it's just been having red light therapy is essentially like having a Swiss army knife. And, you know, whatever your problem is, you're probably going to be able to use it in some way where I've used it for general things. Now, because of this injury, I was like, perfect. I've got this device that is going to absolutely help in that situation. It was quite fun in a, in a sense to go through that myself and to be able to be my own guinea pig. And now in some ways actually relate to my, a lot of my customers mm. and also be able to say, I've got my story now. I've also been through the wars and I've seen a tremendous benefit of using my own product, which was, yeah, very, very exciting. Yeah. What a powerful testimonial. It's, it's like healing like Wolverine, you know, having this little hidden cheat code that all of these specialists as well, were probably completely unaware of. And you going in and being able to cancel these things and healing at a rate that's faster than they ever could comprehend basically means that you know you you are breaking the brain of what is possible and hopefully they get curious maybe and say what, what's this guy doing you bring in this crazy red light thing and you know change the mind and potentially get these into healing institutions can you imagine if we were treating wound care with red light my, my brother got in a motorcycle accident a couple of summers ago and he had really bad road rash and injury and i went out there to visit him in tucson and i packed the red light for a therapy device. We sat him on the couch and we blasted him with that thing all day. And he made a really fast recovery too. So it's very powerful to have that story. And um, I'm curious, you know, to, to revisit the accident, what, what a brush with death teaches you about life? Like what does having a near death experience teach you about how to live life? What, what is on the other side of that? You know, the lessons, the, the, the wisdom. I know that you have Amal Fati and memento mori tattooed on your body which are these um, reminders to live a good life because death is uh, something that we push off into the distance and it, it can come for us at any moment so what what was that like going through that experience yeah it's interesting because you know a motorbike accident something like this does 
tell me or remind you that the death can happen at any stage and that's something i'd always thought about i'm a big fan of the stoic philosophy and and you mentioned them already the one um, principle of that philosophy is memento mori is remember death and it's not as a as something that's meant to make you feel sad but it's actually a way to invigorate your life the stoics believe that by remembering that you will die one day it actually makes you enjoy life more because you're going to cherish the moments that you're in and you're also not going to let the small things get to you and i'd already i mean i i believe that concept and it was something i always thought about in my mind i did think when i was thinking memento mori i was thinking 70 80 years old mm. i was planning then i was like okay when i die in 50 years time that you know i need to think about that and the accident was just such a real experience that it brought to light the fact that it doesn't mean it's going to happen when I'm 70 or 80 it could happen tomorrow all of us you know your heart can stop beating anything could could happen you could be in a, a motorbike accident I mean we weren't being reckless it was a complete freak accident and something like that can just like that happen so for me it, it gave me that very real sense of something I already knew but now it was very very practical and I've mentioned this to someone before, but I said that if you put a button in front of me and said, if I push that button, I could go back in time and stop that accident from happening. I probably wouldn't push it because of the perspective I have on life now. So I've already processed that accident and I've actually, I view it as an overall net positive because of the perspective I have now. And for the rest of my life, I wouldn't have that if the accident didn't actually happen. And I spoke to someone, this was after my accident, she was saying to me that she'd been in a, a motorbike accident and she was depressed for two or three months afterwards because she kept telling herself, you know, why did this happen to me? Hmm. Why, you know, did I get injured? I hadn't done anything wrong. And I remember listening to the story. I didn't say this to her because I didn't want to, you know, take away from the fact that she went through that struggle. But I, I've never felt more grateful in my life. I wake up in the morning and I go and, and look at the sunrise and I think this is bonus. Everything that happens now for the rest of my life, I view that as absolute bonus. And since the accident has been the complete opposite for me, I'm loving life at the moment and completely grateful for every single moment because I'm very, very aware and I was made very acute, like acutely aware of the fact that it can all disappear in an instant. That's incredibly powerful. That's something you said to me offer that really stuck out for me is that everything after that accident was like life on bonus mode and it really gives you a felt sense of gratitude not just this thing that we hear you know practice gratitude right three things you're grateful for each day and it's you know not ideal and probably not something we should need to go through in order to really remember that we need to feel that and embody that and the fact that you have that now is really interesting to me and it's a theme that you see with a lot of people, not with everybody. Like you said, some people can be confined to that story. They can be victimized by that story and that experience, the poor me. And that's that's terrible because bad things happen. Not always your fault, right? There's, there's bad, genuine strokes of luck. There's malevolence in the world. But how are you going to heal through that and use it? And if you can take that perspective that you just articulated so well, that it becomes a platform to launch into even something greater, not this big tragedy that you had to go through, like you learned and you're actually in some crazy kind of way grateful that you went through that. And I think that's such a powerful perspective for people to hear. So I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, with all of these lessons, I am curious um, about, you know, the lessons that you've learned through this entrepreneurial journey too, like the life of, 
you've had your nomadic phase, you're building a business, you're, you're living in different countries, you're currently in South Africa when the accident happened, you was in Bali. You're, you're building a business, you're trying to you know, be an entrepreneur. What has like, launching a red light business um, taught you about how to live a good life? What's it taught you about yourself? What's it taught you about fear and failure and wins and losses and all of that stuff? Two things come to my mind. And I would say first one is probably to relate it back to health. And this is something you learn as soon as you're trying to be someone who's productive or you're trying to be your best self every single day is with health, there's so many different things. So there's diet, there's exercise, there's light, as we've discussed here now. And what I realized right in the beginning is that you don't need to overcomplicate it. You don't need to be, you know, doing extreme deep research on every single topic but you do need to be aware of all of them. So for example, when I first started looking into health, this is actually when I was still at university. So this is about eight years ago. I was only doing, I was eating right and I was exercising five times a week. If I did anything wrong in those two areas of my life, my energy tanked, I would feel it. So if I had a cheat meal, I would really struggle and my, my sleep would be bad or my energy levels would be low. And what I've come to realize is because there's these different aspects of health, your light environment, your relationships, if you can focus on more of those and get them 80% right in all of those fields, you have a bit more room to play with in each of them. So I can have a cheat meal every now and again. I can go out sometimes and have dinner and I'm, I'm staying up probably longer than I should be anyway. But because I've got this holistic approach to health, it makes it a lot easier to be a lot more flexible in that sense. And as a result... I find it a lot easier to be more productive and to, you know, stay on top of things with mm. my business. Outside of health, and this is something I can't stress enough, and I was very grateful when I first started my company. I had a mentor who, before I uh, started building my chondria, he told me that motivation is uh, worthless. So you, motivation does nothing. And what he basically made me do is he said, I can see you, he told me, I can see you're really excited to start your company now and you're motivated to do it, but business is, is really, really hard. So what he made me do is he made me write out a why statement. Mm. So I had to write down why I was going to build this company. And he had the foresight to tell me this because he knew that as business goes, there's very high highs and there's very low lows. So if you're someone who's just relying on motivation, it's probably not going to get you through those very low lows. And for me, you know, writing out this why statement, I wanted to be financially free. I wanted to be able to travel the world. I want to be able to start a family one day and I want to be able to support them and spend time with them. And those things have seen me through some of the hardest times in my business and my life, because even though I didn't feel like doing it, and even though it seemed absolutely hopeless, I knew why I was doing it. And as a result, that was my, my armor essentially to go through those tough times was knowing why I was doing what I was doing. So if someone's looking to business, I would tell you the most important thing to to know is why you're doing it and write it down on a little piece of paper. I remember sticking it on my fridge. I had that list of things uh, just to actually tell you everything that was on that list. So it was financial freedom and being able to travel the world. I wanted to retire my mom. I wanted to start a family. And I remember the fifth thing on this list, and you'll laugh at this, but on the list, it said uh, grass-fed slash free-range slash organic. And basically what it was is that one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, have more finances was because I wanted to be able to make those decisions that would uh, improve my health. So I wanted to be mm. able to have high-quality food and not have that be a, you know, a, a factor in my day-to-day -day living because it was such a high priority for me. So 
yeah, those are one of the other, the whys for me and in, in how I got through it all. It's so powerful. It, it reminds me when you were just describing that like why statement and really anchoring to that and how it pulled you through some of the lowest lows of the quote, uh, a man with a strong enough why can endure anyhow. And it's that in a nutshell, you know, you had that strong enough why. So when the how of like, oh, this is sucks or, you know, is this going to work that you could stay the course and something that I've spoke about on this podcast numerous times is something else that you just said there that that discipline eats motivation for breakfast. You know, it's great mm -hmm. if you are motivated, but uh, I jokingly say motivation will be gone like a fart in the wind as soon as life gets the least bit crazy. So when you have it, it's lightning in a ball, capture it, run with it, ride that wave of momentum, but understand it's going to ghost you. And then what's left, right? It's these other things. It's these why statements. It's these values. And it's working on the character trait of discipline, right? How can I still show up and do this even in the suck? Because that's kind of delaying this gratification, trusting that one day I'm going to be able to look at that list and screw it up in a nice little ball, burn it in the fire in a happy, hopeful way, because now I get to write a new list because that's all done. And now what's next? And we can go to new levels and dream bigger. So I think that's uh, really, really cool reflections there, Nick. Something I'd like to add, actually, just because of what you just said, and, and this, is, this is also extremely important, you said delayed gratification. And that is something that is so essential for us to train ourselves to do in today's society. It's because these days it is so easy to get a false sense of reward. We have things like social media and you're scrolling and, and these set off our reward systems. And one of the things that we're not uh, very good at is actually putting in work when there's delayed gratification. So can you work on something knowing that you're only going to get the rewards in five years? And I've personally found, and I know, Steve, we've discussed this before ourselves, is you have to be very, very careful in your day-to-day -day life when you're getting sucked into those, those easy traps, mm -hmm. those, as Joe Rogan calls them, the honeypots in life. Things like if you spend too much time on social media, I notice if I'm scrolling through Instagram and I sit there for half an hour, I don't feel like working after that. My motivation to go and do something hard in order to feel a sense of reward is completely gone. And one of those things, if you're you're trying to motivate yourself, sometimes it's not about listening to a motivational talk. It's actually just about removing those easy sources of dopamine that we have in our lives these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wise words, brother, wise words. And I'm reminded of this tension or juxtaposition, if you will, of harder choices, easier life easier choices, harder life. And I like that frame a lot because it's easy to just chase the dopamine and go in the scroll hole. It's harder to be like, I need to hold myself to a higher level here and, and, and you know, sort some of that stuff out. But that harder choice leads to the easier life. So Nick, this has been wonderful and we're not quite done because we do have some questions from our community that were submitted. So are you ready to tackle a couple of questions here and see what we can offer our, uh, offer our crew? Cool, let's do it. Cool. What have we got today, Mr. Cade? Cool, let's take a look. Uh, the first one is from Samantha. Uh, how are red light and infrared different? Cool. You want to take that one, Nick, because that would have me stumped. What have we got there, Mr. <laughs> red light? So it's a very good question because what we did in the podcast now is we only spoke about how red light therapy affects your cells. And the answer is true that both red and infrared light or near-infrared light, they have the same effects in your cells, so they're freeing up nitric oxide and they're increasing energy production in your cells. But the major difference between the red and near infrared light is the depth of penetration. 
So red is a slightly shorter wavelength of light, and as a result, it penetrates more your superficial tissues. So you're going to see more skin benefits that are associated with red light. Near-infrared light is a longer wavelength, and as a result, penetrates a little bit deeper. And that's what you want if you're trying to deal with joint pain and get a, a deeper depth of penetration. The same effect, just a different depth of penetration. And with that understanding, if you're getting a high-quality red light therapy device, it should include both red and near-infrared light, because although they have the same effect, you're going to get the greatest uh, depth of penetration and full variety of penetration by having that combination between the two wavelengths. Sick. Beautiful. This next question is from Matt. Uh, he was wondering if there are any benefits to uh, doing the red light therapy naked and specifically targeting certain parts of your body. Absolutely. So there's a very cool article you can search up. It's in Men's Health, and it's about a biohacker that Steve's already mentioned. His name's uh, Ben Greenfield. And he talks about boosting his testosterone, tripling his testosterone by standing naked in front of his red light therapy device. Now, as we already mentioned, the, the underlying mechanism is that increase in energy production in your cells. And one of the major areas we don't get enough sunlight exposure to these days is our testes. And the testes is where 98% of uh, all testosterone is made for a man. So it's one of those areas, if you're exposing it to red and infrared light, you're going to really see these drastic improvements. I mean, people anecdotally report 300 and 500% increases in their testosterone levels just by shining a red light in that area. In clinical trials, we see that it's normally between 100 and 200%. That's when they're doing, you know, with a larger group of participants. The average tends to be about 100 to 200%, which is still insanely significant. A uh, bit of an overshare here for myself as well, but I personally will also always use a red light therapy device before any sexual interaction because it does help to increase blood flow and that is obviously going to increase your performance in the bedroom as well. That's that's so cool and I've I've actually used it a lot on my testes because I mean you tell the bros that something's going to increase testosterone they're going to try it right and I've felt um I feel really youthful in that department um 33 year old father now we know that actually becoming a father can cut your testosterone by about a third um you know and that stays there it never returns to its baseline level apparently there's some paternal instinct stuff going on there which is really interesting but i feel like this is a a, a buffer against that uh, or at least a little bit it's protecting you it's maybe making the depth that you fall to not as low as it otherwise could be and i still feel really good and youthful and because you had a tmi i'll have a tmi too i do notice that when i do my you know um, red light on on the balls they kind of like come out of hiding if you will like they they like just very warm up and they come and everything kind of like you, it's that blood flow it's that growth it feels really good they dance they sleep they dance they're, they are like finally you gave me some light right <laughs> we should also expose those things to light so I, I love that question so for the bros out there if you need any more any more um justification for purchasing a red light it's uh, shine it on your balls and get some testosterone going beautiful and uh last question is from adam and he's wondering about the best protocol for red light therapy for beginners. So first time doing it, where, what should he start with? Great question. So as we mentioned earlier, there are different minimum doses for different benefits. So what we see with, in, with red light therapy in the clinical research is that all these different benefits tend to have a minimum. It's usually the surface level ones that have a lower minimum dose. Deeper things like joint pain, they have a higher minimum dose. But... 
the maximum dose or the area of or the time of overdosing is very high. So you have a lot of room to work with. If you're using a 100 milliwatts per centimeter squared device, so a really powerful device, you're probably going to have to sit in front of that device for 40 minutes before you go into the overdosing zone. So if you're looking for just general benefits, I would say with a high quality device, you're probably looking at about eight to 10 minutes per day. If you have symptomatic areas, then we often say to our customers, use it twice a day. So someone with joint pain, they will do it twice a day for the first two weeks until they get some relief. But as a general guideline, you're probably looking at around eight to 10 minutes just for your general health. And you're going to be hitting 95% of all the benefits. You're not going to be overdosing just by sticking to that protocol. Amazing. Just out of curiosity, Nick, what would it what would it mean to overdose on red light? What would you feel? Would you crash or would you just be hyperstimulated? What would that what would that effect be? So in rare cases, people will maybe get a bit of a, a headache, mm. uh, maybe feel a little bit fatigued. What most people experience though is just less benefits. So mm. when your cells are making more energy, they're also producing more free radicals. Mm. It's just a, a byproduct of energy production. And basically what happens is your cells need to be able to deal with those free radicals. So the antioxidants within your cells, they need to neutralize those free radicals. Now, if you overdo the session too quickly, basically what's going to happen is there's going to be too many free radicals within the cell. And instead of that cell now using this new energy to do whatever its function is, it's now going to delegate some of that energy back into making more antioxidants and dealing with those free radicals. So the main thing you're going to see by overdosing is less of a positive impact. So it's one of those mm. cases where sometimes less is more. Sticking within the guidelines is actually going to be the best benefits that you're going to get. And if you go beyond that, you're more than likely going to see less of a positive impact. Love that. Super interesting. Especially less is more when you keep mentioning the, the, the device's quality. It's high powered and it's EMF free, etc. which of course um, your devices are. So as we wrap this thing up, where can we send people to learn more about mitochondria devices through the website, social media? What's the links? Anything exciting coming up that you want to share with the audience? Anything, any closing statements? Yeah. So, I mean, the best places to go on our website, I mean, it's mitochondria.com. It's M-Y-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-A.com, not mitochondria.com. A lot of people mistake that. But on the website, there's plenty of section. There's a full blog uh, post, uh, blog section there, which covers a whole bunch of articles. It's also listed per benefit. Obviously, different people are coming to red light therapy for different reasons. So you can go on the menu tab there and you can click whether it's skin benefits or whether it's decreasing pain, improving your sleep quality. You can find an article that will give you information about that with scientific references and also give you a specific protocol. On the website, what's quite cool as well is there's a, a quiz that you can find on there. And that will basically, you can again, say what benefits you're looking for. It'll create a customized protocol for you. It'll recommend what product you want to use or what would be the best product to get those benefits because you know, different people are, are going to be using different protocols based on, on what they're looking for. On social media, again, it's going to be mitochondria on Instagram. We've got a really cool YouTube channel. There's about, I think it's just over a hundred videos now of me just on different topics around red light therapy. So if you want to start watching some videos on the topic, then that's another great place to start. Yeah, your your YouTube and your email list and your blogs are, are really fascinating. And there's a reason I wanted to have you on the show. You clearly know your stuff about red light. I'm a huge believer in this technology and this tool to use to bioharmonize. 
I also love your perspective on life and your story and how you're, you know, impacting and changing the lives with this amazing tool. So I really appreciate your time. I know the the listeners got a lot of value about this one. And I really hope that, you know, you go away and seriously consider investing in your health with a mitochondria device. It's been a game changer for me. It's been a game changer for Nick. And it's been a game changer for all the customers that mitochondria is helping. So stay well, stay radical, my friend. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with us. And uh, we'll see you soon, no doubt. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. It's always great to connect. Peace out, everybody. See you next week. All right, friends. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Radical Health Radio. We got a fresh new podcast for you every Wednesday. If you enjoyed the show, consider liking, subscribing, reviewing, and rating us on your podcast platform. It helps us spread this message of Radical Health. We'll see you next week.